invite you to take your Bible and join me in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. We're going to, I want to really invite you to partner with me today in inviting the Lord to do a redemptive, rescuing work in the life of our nation and particularly in the happenings that took place last night in Las Vegas. I don't know if you're aware of it, but at least 50 people died last night. 400 plus are injured because a man who they have yet to fully understand, one man with automatic or semi-automatic weapons from a, a great distance at a Jason Aldean concert in Las Vegas last night, randomly shot people. What, um, what you need to understand, we have so much difficulty in our culture. We have so much difficulty in the world, and in order to make sense of that, you need to understand what's true about that. What Daniel read just a few minutes ago in Ephesians chapter 2 is an inspired, defining perspective about that. God created man for good, and he created, Dr. Horner said, who is man? That was the question. Well, man is made in the image of God to enjoy the blessing of God and to communicate the goodness of God. And man was, the truth, damaged by evil and by choice. The fall of man infected and affected everything. What Daniel read to us bears witness on the realities around us. We are walking, humanity that is, in our fallen nature, walking according to the course of this world. And according to the prince of darkness, we are children of disobedience, we are children of wrath. We are damaged beyond repair. Humanity is broken beyond any human solution. What you see is the product of the fall. What you see is the product of humanity influenced by the enemy reflecting our reality, which is why what we do is so important. Because no social activity, no amount of cultural influence through social or political mechanisms can correct what at root is wrong with us. And that's our fallen nature and the influence of the enemy on it. What happened last night is the product of the fall of Adam. And absent the intervention of the gospel and person of Jesus Christ, there is no solution. Now, heaven's king is seated on a throne. The mountains can shake and the oceans can roar. It doesn't change his rule. Man does not want him to rule over them. And that resistance creates great loss, not just in Las Vegas all over the world, even in your household. So before I open God's Word and challenge you, and really, really my sermon today is meant to encourage you. 
and providentially, it involves the encouragement that comes by the reality that God changes lives. But I want to invite you to pray with me that the God of everything will minister mercy and grace and use the tragedy and leverage it for good. Minister mercy. Because even though we're here and they're there, we're part of a common family, humanity. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you this morning for the Lamb of God we just sang about. Yes, we are damaged. We are broken. Sometimes it's graphically obvious. Sometimes not so much. And the only solution to that damaging, destructive reality is the Lamb of God who takes away not just the legal implications of our sin, but the power of it to control us. Lord, I pray today in Jesus' name that you would minister grace and comfort to those who have been so dramatically and traumatically injured. Losses of life, physical injury, but all of the emotional trauma. It may be that those individuals will go a long, long time before they ever go into a public venue again without feelings of uncertainty and insecurity. Lives changed yesterday. Lives were lost yesterday. Lord, we're asking for grace and mercy today. We're praying for the God of all comfort to minister comfort through your church, through your people. Lord, I pray that Jesus Christ, who conquered death, the consequences of sin, the one who is resurrected to the right hand of the Father, who's been crowned now with glory and honor, would dispatch his rescuing agents, his comforting, gracious, merciful people to minister grace all over the world. Lord, we're asking you to do what only you can do. And we're asking you to change us so we can be agents of change in the lives of those with whom we have to do. We ask this today in Jesus' name, grateful for the rescuer, in whose name I pray, amen. My sermon this morning is meant to encourage you, really arm you with hope. Last week we talked about critical biblical truths relative to the challenges of sexual integrity, sexual Uh, dysfunction, confusion, and then the beauty of God's design and desire. And there's not a one of us that's not going to be impacted by that. Perhaps we're personally wrestling with that or know people that are. I want you to know today that what I want to encourage you in is no matter what the diagnosis is relative to your reality or those that you care about, There's a monumental message that drumbeats and echoes throughout the entire New Testament, especially in the Gospels. And that testimony and that drumbeat reality from the God who communicates is that God changes lives. God's a personal communicator. You wouldn't know much about God. You would know there's a designer You would know that there's a power outside of yourself. You would know that what you see requires more than what would naturally happen 
If you had something that could take time and chance and become something, it wouldn't look like the something you see in the beauty of creation, the design of creation, the variety of creation. You can know that there's a designer, but you wouldn't know who the designer is unless the designer revealed himself to you. God, thankfully, is a personal, proactive communicator. God communicates. He wants you to know Him, not just through the power of the design, His unrivaled deity and capacity. He wants you to know Him personally. He wants you to know about Him. And He's provided a personal Word, the Word of God to us, a written, inspired revelation, the truth of God, so that you can know God. From the very beginning, you learn about God, because you wouldn't conclude rightly if you look at the tragedies that our planet and our nations are challenged with. If you defined God by the evil you see, you would not know God as God is. You wouldn't understand. What you get at the beginning of the Bible is the recognition that God is good. He created man for good. He put man in a garden where he could enjoy paradise and good. The Bible ends in Revelation 22 with man in a city of good where there's no evil. God is good. He does good. There's a paradise at the end. There's a paradise at the beginning. The Bible says there's no good thing that He withholds from them that walk uprightly. The Bible said He's given us all things freely to enjoy. God, when He came, said, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God is good. He's generous and good, and He's a creator. You wouldn't know that He created, and you wouldn't know that He's good unless He told you so. But it's not just God's written Word whereby He so powerfully communicates. It's God's personal Word. It wasn't enough to provide you the revelation of Scripture. God sent His Son God, very God, to inhabit human flesh, the Word which was God, the Word that was with God, the One who is in the beginning, at the beginning, already present, God the Son, the living Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And John 1 says, nobody has seen God at any time, verse 18, but the only begotten God, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. He's explained Him. Hebrews 1 adds, God in these last days has spoken to us in His Son. He is, Jesus, the Son, verse 3, Hebrews 1, is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. God wants you to know God. He's given you His written Word so that you can know Him, and He's given you His personal human Word, His living Son, so that when you see Him, you know you get to see God. He explains Him. Whoever God is, Jesus reveals. So if God wants to reveal God, He's going to reveal Himself both in His written Word and His personal Word. And that's what we have the benefit of looking at today The good news, the beginning of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, good news, gospel, good message, the message of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at chapter 10 today, and in order to understand its perspective, I want to give you a running start out of the gospel of Mark. It's the oldest gospel. It's the smallest gospel. Its theme is Jesus Christ, the servant of men. It's probably Peter's gospel. 
John Mark was his amanuensis, his secretary, if you will. This is Peter's account. This is a firsthand reflection on who God is through the person of Jesus Christ. It's generally seen by way of theme. This is the revelation of God and God's Son as the servant of humanity, the servant of God who serves in sacrifices for individuals, who serves the needs of humanity and mankind. Now, you know Matthew's gospel reveals Jesus as the son of David, a king. Luke's gospel, son of man, fully human. John's gospel, son of God, divine. Mark's gospel, a servant, servant of God to man. Those are certainly appropriate themes and perspectives to draw out from the Gospels, and particularly the Gospel of Mark, but I want to frame it a little different way. It is certainly true, according to the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus Christ is the servant king, the servant of God to humanity, but it drumbeats this Gospel with a truth that Jesus is someone who has the desire and the power to change lives. The theme of the Gospel of Mark, if you want another way to label it, is God showing you God by communicating through God in the flesh His capacity and His desire to transform lives, to change them. Matter of fact, I would say it this way, Jesus Christ is a life changer. God is a life changer. He has the desire to do it. He has the power to do it. And God the communicator reveals Himself in the person of His Son as a life changer. Let me give you some highlights, just a running start as we get to chapter 10. Chapter 1, because of Jesus Christ, verse 23, an unclean, demonized man becomes a clean without a demon man. Verse 30, a sick woman, because of Jesus Christ, becomes a well woman. Verse 32, ill people become healthy people because of Jesus Christ. Verse 40, chapter 1, a leprous man becomes a whole man because of Jesus Christ. Theme of chapter 1, Jesus Christ changes lives, all kinds of lives. Chapter 2, because of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, a sinful man becomes a forgiven man. Verse 12, a paralyzed man becomes a walking man. Verse 14, because of Jesus Christ, a dishonorable man becomes an honorable man. Jesus Christ changes lives. Verse chapter 3, verse 5, because of Jesus Christ, a handicapped man becomes a whole man. Verse 10, because of Jesus Christ, an afflicted people become free people. Chapter 5, because of Jesus Christ, verse 15, a tormented and demonized man becomes a peaceful filled and happy man, and out of his mind man becomes a man in his right mind because of Jesus Christ. Verse 29, chapter 5, a sick and tired woman becomes a whole and refreshed woman. Verse 42, a dead girl becomes a living girl, and sad parents become joy-filled parents because of Jesus Christ who changes lives. Chapter 6, verse 42, because of Jesus Christ, hungry people become filled people, empty people become satisfied people. Verse 48, the weary 
are strengthened because of Jesus Christ. The despairing and fearful are encouraged. Verse 56, sick people of every sort and from everywhere become well people because of Jesus Christ. Theme, Jesus Christ, God changes lives. Chapter 7. Verse 26, because of Jesus Christ, a hopeless mom becomes a happy mom. A tortured daughter, verse 30, becomes a freed daughter. Verse 35, a deaf man becomes a hearing man, and a stuttering man becomes a smooth-talking man because of Jesus Christ who changes lives, because of a God who changes the lives of people. Chapter 8, verse 8, because of Jesus Christ impoverished, Hungry people become have more than they need people, satisfied to the brim people. Because of Jesus Christ, verse 22, a blind man becomes a seeing man. Chapter 9, verse 18, because of Jesus Christ, a distressed and frustrated dad becomes a thrilled and filled with relief dad. Verse 20, because of Jesus Christ, a convulsing child becomes a peace-filled child. Why? Because Jesus Christ changes lives. Because God changes lives. He has the desire to do it, and He has the ability to do it. Coming out of last week and in light of the happenings of this weekend, I want you to understand that housed in the heart of God and in the person and work of Jesus Christ is transformational change potential. No matter what your reality, no matter how difficult, Jesus Christ, God, can change your life, wants to, and is able to. That's my encouragement today. Jesus Christ changes lives. Now we're going to look at the last transformation miracle before his passion. Last week of his life. The last changed life as it relates to a life transformed in the manner of these that we've noted Chapter 10, verse 46. So let's read it together. This is our text for today. If I'm going to entitle this message, I'm going to call it The Making of a Miracle. Lessons about the life changer and lessons about the life changed. Jesus can change lives. A few more installments about who he is and how he is. And then some installments about how he changes lives. For whom? What are the ingredients? Mark chapter 10, verse 46, they came, referring to disciples and those with Jesus, they came to Jericho, and as he was going out from Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he began crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, arise, he's calling for you. Verse 50, and casting aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And verse 52, and Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight, and he began following him, Jesus, on the road. Some critical lessons about the master teacher, the life changer himself, 
and about those who would have their lives changed. A couple of lessons about the life changer that I want to punctuate as revealed in this passage. Lessons about the life changer. Lesson number one, the life changer, Jesus, cares about your lesser needs while fulfilling his greater needs. The life changer cares about your lesser needs while he is fulfilling his greater ones. Now you need to understand the context. When it says in verse 46 they came to Jericho, you need to understand that they're heading to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9 verse 51, the Bible says that Jesus resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. What's at Jerusalem? The reason he came to give himself as a ransom for many. Matter of fact, look at verse 32, chapter 10, contextually. And they, the disciples, were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking on ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside. Notice the word again, because this is the third time. And for some of them, a fourth time, again, he said to them, and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Jerusalem. Look at verse 33. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. What's going to happen there? The Son of Man will be delivered up to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn Him to death and will deliver Him up to the Gentiles. They will mock Him, spit upon Him, scourge Him, and kill Him. And three days later, He will rise again. That's what's going to happen up at Jerusalem. This is the reason I came. This is the major mission for which I've come. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. I didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. This is my saving action. This is my main mission. This is the culmination of my purpose. This is a big deal. And yet I want you to notice what it says in verse 49 when this man called out to him. Verse 49, Jesus stopped. I like the emphasis of that. He stopped. Why did he stop? Because of a little need, relatively, of a nobody. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem to fulfill the greatest ministry priority of all. Don't think, for the one who's in need of a life change, don't think that a little life need is insignificant with a big God in the midst of doing big things. And listen, I would say this to those of you who desire to be Christ-like as you desire to model His ministry mindset. Don't let bigger ministry priorities keep you from seeing and meeting lesser ones. Don't be so busy that you don't see the needs along the way. Don't be too busy to stop. Don't be too busy that you can't see or hear the needs of others. There are more opportunities than you think right here, right now. And we can get so fixated on our major mission, our perspective, that we ignore the needs that are around us. He didn't and we shouldn't. But the main point I want to encourage you with today is the life changer doesn't see any need as too small for him to address, irrespective of the great work he's in the process of doing. Number two, a second good news truth regarding the life changer. Jesus cares about nobodies even though he's a somebody. Jesus cares about nobodies even though he's a somebody, and we could add, followed by a lot of somebodies. I want you to look at verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was going out from Jericho with his disciples, 
and a great multitude, so you've got this mammoth crowd following him, a blind beggar, now notice the italicized word, named, which is to say that isn't in your text, because that's not his name. Bartimaeus, descriptively, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. Now, the Aramaic prefix bar means son. Timaeus is a name. This blind man is described as the son of Timaeus, which means that's, we don't know his name. Be like me saying, hey, I'm the son of Harry. That doesn't tell you who I am. It tells you I'm the son of Harry, but doesn't give you my name. Bartimaeus is described with no name. As a matter of fact, there were two blind men, according to Matthew's gospel, that were sitting together. The other guy's not even named. Luke says it was a certain blind man. I want you to understand that this guy's a nobody. He's not even named. And Mark doesn't even mention the other guy. This is a no-name nobody because he's a blind beggar, which in terms of the social scale is at the bottom. The beggar doesn't have rank or station. He's on the outside. So he's not named. He's named as the son of a name. He's a no-name. He's a no-name nobody. Let me make this rapid installment about the life changer. Learn a lesson from him. Every, every nobody is a somebody to God. Jesus cares about both of these men, the named and the unnamed, and since they're neither one named, the, not, not, the other one not even mentioned, Jesus pays attention to these men, even though he's followed by, hear it, a great multitude. You see, the drumbeat lesson of the Gospels is everybody's a somebody to God. Even a Samaritan woman sitting by a well with a soiled reputation. Even a woman that people wouldn't talk to, men wouldn't. Even a Samaritan woman from a hated culture, a, a despised culture. Or a child, which was at the lowest level of the socio-status scale. Suffer the little ones to come unto me. It doesn't matter whether you're soiled or from a culture that's disliked or you're a little child or you're a no-name blind beggar. Come to me. The one who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. To the one who would have their life changed, understand this, don't feel like Jesus wouldn't help someone like you. God often chooses the least and he despises the wise. Well, let's keep rolling. Let's talk about the person whose life has changed. What are the ingredients for a life change? What are the practical encouragements from this revelation of this blind man recorded here for those who are desperate for a life change? The reason I read all of those statements to you early is I want you to understand God's saying something. I change lives. And if I change theirs, I can change yours. If I can change theirs, I can change someone else's that you care about. What are the ingredients? What are the life-changing ingredients to the making of a miracle? Lessons to be learned about the lives that are changed. One commentator said, here we see in this section the conditions for a miracle. We see the heart style that attracts the wonder-working power of the life changer. The first truth revealed in the making of a miracle, 
This life that got changed, got changed in part, number one, you want a life change because he made the most of his opportunity. He made the most of his opportunity. Now, you may not recognize this or even know this, but this is the only recorded visit of Jesus to Jericho. And not only that, the text says in verse 46, he's going out from Jericho. So it's the only time he's in town, and he's on his way out of town, which is to say that this blind beggar who needs a life change will not have another opportunity. Jesus is not coming back. He's passing through, he's passing by, and he's passing by one time. Which leads me to say to you today, make the most of your opportunity. People who do, make the most of the opportunities when God is passing by, by way of his spirit, by way of his work. Make the most of your opportunity. Take advantage when Jesus passes by. This guy did in his life change. Had he not, he wouldn't have been transformed that day. Many of us waste the opportunities God provides. Listen, here's a great danger to you. You'll think you have other opportunities. One of the great deceptions, especially when you're young, is I'll transact with God for the change I know I need later. Let me tell you what might not happen later. For two reasons. Number one, you may not be here later. Number two, your heart may not be interested later. Listen to the drumbeat of Hebrews chapter 3 about the priority of today. Because four times in just a few verses... The inspired writer capitalizes on this priority of capitalizing on today. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, the third person of the Godhead says this, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Now, this is a reference to the children of Israel to whom God kept calling and wooing and inviting who kept rejecting. They hardened their hearts. Verse 13, today, again, today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 15, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. This is a warning to the people of God to respond to the work of God and the call of God today. Hebrews 4, 7, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David after so long a time, just as has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today. When God passes by through the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, what I'm talking about is when the Word of God is prompting, when the Spirit of God is convicting, where the love of God is wooing. You've felt it. You've seen it. God does it. He passes by in moments like this, and the Spirit of God is working. Don't miss your opportunity. Lest your heart be hardened. Here's another danger of 
individuals like you who hear three sermons a week. You go to church on Sunday. You have Bible study, small group. You can get callous to the Word of God and the work of God. You just keep saying later, don't miss your opportunity to have your life changed. It may be the only opportunity you get. This changed life made the most of His. Some of you are risking your opportunity. Not only has Christ passed by, He's actually stopped and knocked on the door of your heart. He's wooed you. He's invited you. He's convicted you. And you still haven't responded. You've not called out. God pity you. You're in a culture that... Unless we have some near-close event that reminds you that your life is brief, brief, it's like a vapor, you can't count on tomorrow. I've been a pastor a long time. I cannot tell you. You go to the obituary today, look at how many young people are gone. They're not all 70. They're not all 80. They're not all 60. Those folks in Vegas were not all old. Through no fault of their own, they're gone. Don't miss the opportunity. He didn't and you shouldn't. Number two, a life that would be changed. The second ingredient that this man demonstrated is he recognized Jesus was more than a good man. Lives that get changed, look at Jesus more than a good man and a great teacher. Verse 47, and when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, that's the name of a man. Jesus was his name. Nazareth was where he was from. That's a human name and a human place. But this guy didn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He said, verse 47, Son of David, have mercy on me. Which is to say, I know you're not just a man from Nazareth. I know because of what I've heard. Which, by the way, you have to ask yourself, how would he know anything about Jesus? Somebody had to tell him. So what would they have told him? Perhaps what... Isaiah 35 says of the one who would come, verses 4 through 6, the messianic promise. Say to those with anxious heart, writes Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4, say to those with an anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but, adversative, He will save you. Validating proof, listen to it. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like deer and the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy. When Messiah comes, you're going to know He's here because He's going to bring hope to your life. He's going to make blind eyes see, deaf ears hear, lame people walk, tongues to talk. Somebody told him about a Jesus Christ, a life changer who changes lives. Remember John the Baptist when he was in prison in Matthew chapter 11? Amazing thing. Here's the guy that saw the dove descending, heard the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The one who said I'm not worthy to unlatch his sandal. The one who said the one who comes is is greater than I. That one, John the Baptist. He's in prison in Matthew chapter 11. He's in prison because he's confronted Herod about his immoral relationship with his wife. It really was his brother's wife. He took her. John confronted him. He's in prison, and he sends and dispatches two of his disciples to Jesus to ask this question. Are you the Messiah? Matter of fact, listen to the Scripture. Are you the expected one? 
Are you the son of David we've been waiting for? Are you the expected one, the Messiah, the anointed one? Or shall we look for someone else? I just find it interesting what Jesus told those disciples to go tell John. Not an apologetic about who he was, but rather a description of what he does. Listen to what it says. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. I am the son of David. Here's how you know because of the transforming, life-changing power you see on display in me. Because I'm not just the recoverer of Israel's greatness. I am a life-changing Messiah. I am God in the flesh. Somebody had to tell this blind man that, which is why he cried out the way he cried out. Here's a little parenthetical for you. People need to know about what Jesus does. Not just the theological, apologetic rationale for who he is. One of the greatest levers in your life is your testimony. I was, but I now am. I once was blind myself spiritually, but now I see. God changed my life. Your testimony of practical life change is a validating evidence of what God can do in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Share it so that people who need it can be drawn to it. Well, let me keep rolling. The third truth. So faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and I'm going to add by the word of God's people about the person and work of Jesus. Number three, the third truth revealed in the making of a miracle, this life that got changed, got changed in part because he unashamedly cried out for mercy. Verses 47 and 48, there's a sense in which all miracles are the results of desperate cries by desperate people who know they're utterly dependent with nothing to hide and nothing to lose. He didn't say, I don't deserve my situation. He said, I need help to deal with my situation. Number four. Verse 48. Lives that get changed get changed like his because he would not be dissuaded or denied by those around him. Not only did he cry out unashamedly for mercy, he kept crying out when there are those who would inhibit him. Verse 48, and many were sternly telling him to be quiet. Interesting word, sternly telling. It means, shh. Or we would say, shut up. Mute it. You wonder, why did they say that to him? They clearly weren't against him because when Jesus called, they said, hey, be encouraged. He's calling you. Go. It's not like they were overtly adversarial. I take it to mean that, hey, you're embarrassing us. He doesn't have time for you. He doesn't care about someone like you. He can't help you. I don't know what all the thoughts were that governed the words, shut up, be quiet. But they didn't change him. Matter of fact, what verse 48 says, irrespective of their influence, he called out all the more. And that word for crying means to scream. So he didn't lower the volume, he raised the volume. Which leads me to this conclusion. 
Some will cause us to be held back by the work of God and what the work of God can do and be in our life. And if you're going to have your life changed, you can't be held back by those who would discourage you. Some of you come from Christian homes and Christian churches. If you were to come forward and say to somebody, you know what, I'm lost. My heart's sinful. I'm not saved. I'm not born again. I'm, a child. I'm not a child of God. I need what I don't have. For some of you, the reason that is not said and dealt with is not just because you think you have more time. You could actually be concerned about who might be embarrassed because you own that reality. And I'm saying to you, people who have their lives changed don't care what other people are saying. When you get to the place where you know you need it, if you're going to experience it, you're going to have to walk past, overlook, and ignore those who would inhibit the action you need to take. Because people who have life changed don't care about the inhibitors. Some people will try to hold you back intentionally and purposefully or carelessly and ignorantly. Speak up. Pursue it. Don't worry about it. Ask louder. Number five. The fifth truth revealed in the making of a miracle, this life that got changed, got changed in part. Now here it is. This is the main, I think, ingredient to this whole section. Number five, verse 50. It got changed because he eagerly came when called. Now listen. Casting aside a previous dependence and the potential hindrance. And I'm going to say that again because it's so central to transformation. This guy got changed because when he cried out and the call was made, when Jesus the life changer said, bring him, come, he eagerly came when called. He jumped up, verse 50, and he cast aside his cloak. He eagerly came when called, casting aside a previous dependence and a potential hindrance. Now, something else you may not know. The cloak of a beggar. The cloak of a beggar was an important feature, comfort, and security, and identity in his life. It was so important to a poor person that the law of Moses, Exodus 22, said that if you took a poor man's cloak as a consequence, whether you, like pawning it, like you took it because he owed you money, Exodus twenty-two twenty-six sets down a strict regulation regarding its use as property. It states, verse 26, if ever you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, in other words, as a guarantee for payment, you're to return it to him before the sun sets, for that is his only covering. It is his cloak for his body. What will he sleep in? In other words, it's so important to his functional, practical reality, you can't keep it. When it says he cast the cloak aside, balo to throw, apo balo, to throw it intentionally, to throw it away. It's not like he just jumped up and left it. The only garment he had, the source of his security, the source of his comfort, he tossed it. It was the source of his comfort. It kept him warm at night. It shaded him by day. It padded his body when he sat or his head when he slept. 
It made his difficult life better, more tolerable. It was the source of his comfort. And when Jesus called him, he threw it away. He jumped up seeking a cure, not comfort. His cloak made his old life better and more tolerable. He risked his future by abandoning a tool of known comfort. He abandoned the tool of his old life in order to gain a new life. He risked a known comfort for a potential cure. Listen to this. A critical ingredient of life change pictured here is an eagerness to come to Jesus when he calls you and the abandonment of all of the comforts of the old life. I'm making application. Some people fail to experience life change because they get tripped up by the comforts of things that used to sustain them in their condition, their impoverished condition. The comfort of Maybe alcohol or bad friends or toxic relationships. Maybe drugs. What they depended on to cope and survive in the beggar-like blind lifestyle. In order to experience life change, you need to leave the comforts of the past behind. He did. You should. It's also the source of security, this cloak. Casting aside his cloak was a casting aside of his previous security. History tells us that cloaks were given to beggars as authorization to beg. It was a begging license, if you will. It marked them, the beggar, as legally permitted to beg for a living. Beggars typically sat with their cloaks spread on the ground before them to catch coins tossed by passers-by. Listen to this. This man's cloak is as important to his livelihood as boats are to fishermen. He wouldn't have the security that would come, the life support that that would bring. Casting it aside from would represent abandoning his means, his only means to survival. The life-changing ingredient pictured here is casting away his cloak is the ingredient of abandoning the security of my past and its life support for a dependence on a whole new life support system third thing about this code, it was his identity. This was the thing that defined him. This is how he was. This is what defined his life. And to throw that away in part was to recognize that identity, that reality, I'm throwing that away. Listen to me. People who have a life changer, people who recognize that what I had, I can't hang on to. What I relied on, my old identity, i got to throw it aside. I'm coming to Jesus, and I want a change of life, not just a relief for my situation. Let me give you a couple more, and then we'll be through. Number six, verse 51. A sixth truth revealed in the making of a miracle. This life that got changed got changed in part because he clearly knew what he needed. I wanted to point this out, verse 51, in answering them, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? I want to regain my sight. He could have said, I want relief for my circumstances. I need a place to live. I need some more friends. I I, I need you to change my reality. No, he went right to the core. My core issue is I can't see. 
You know, I think sometimes when we seek life change from God, what we want is a change of circumstances. We want relief, and what we need is transformation. What we need is a miracle. What we need is change from the inside out. If you want life change, do you know what you really need? I think that's why often we have to get to the bottom, because at the bottom we recognize, you know what? I need what I don't have. People who have their lives changed recognize they need more than relief. They need changed. It's not I need a better job, a better income, a better place to live. I need transportation. This guy could have said, hey, I need a donkey. I need to get around. For those of you who have wandered, I want to say this to you. He said, I want to regain my sight. Apparently he could see before, but he can't see now. Maybe he went blind. For those of you who maybe have spiritual eyes that are dull, maybe even blind, you've tasted the precious things of God and you've gotten away from God. Maybe you just need to say to God, I want to regain my sight. I need you to do for me what you did for him. Run to God. Cry out for mercy. Whatever holds you back, Throw it aside. Believe Him for forgiveness and cleansing. Let Him do an internal transformation, miraculous life change. Did I tell you Jesus Christ changes lives? God wants to change your life. You don't have to keep cycling through this pattern of coping and trying to deal with the comfort of the way you've begun to live your life. Or the people you love. cry out and say, Rabboni, that's another key. Literally means, my master and my Lord, I know who you are. You're not just a deliverer, son of David, miracle worker who changes lives. You're the Lord of everything, and I acknowledge that. Call out to him. Let him change you. Make the most of the opportunity today. This last thing Jesus says in verse 52. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Sozo. Saved you. Changed your life. Didn't just heal your eyes. Changed your life. Sozo is life change. Go your way. What did that? Your faith did. Not your work. Not trying harder. Your trust in me that I am who I say I am, that I can do what I say I can do. Jesus Christ changes lives. Bank on it. The Bible says it. Jesus reveals it. And I don't care what the enemy assaults you with or what some may say or may say. He changes lives. Verse 52, he followed him. The validating evidence of life change is you follow Jesus. The making of a miracle, that's the path. The maker of miracles, he's the God of heaven, whose name is Jesus. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for the time. Thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that what you wanted emphasized in your word will be emphasized in the hearts of your people. Lord, this is my family. This is the Master's University family. We come from various stations in life and But there's not a one of us who doesn't need changed. We are changed and changing. We are saved and being saved. 
Lord, for the person who's encumbered and blind and broken, I pray, Lord, that they would cry out with eagerness, dispensing of the things they rely on to gain a life otherwise they would not ever have. And I pray they would do it today. Thank you for being the life changer. Thank you for having not only the power to do it, but the desire to do it. Work to that end, I ask in Jesus' name.